Hi, welcome to Heart of Conservation podcast. This is season two, episode 13. I'm your host, Lalita Krishnan, bringing you ins- inspiring stories that keep you informed and connected with our natural world. I'm talking to Almitra Patel today. She's an environmental policy advocate and anti-pollution act- activist, and also one of the most unusual and amazing persons I've known. Her public interest litigation in the Supreme Court against the open dumping of municipal solid waste was instrumental in the drafting of the first municipal solid waste management rule in India. Her Clean Up India campaign started 20 plus years ago, long before it hit our billboards and screens, perhaps even our conscience. While you and I were traveling to pretty places, she was visiting garbage dumps all over the country. Somewhere in between these visits, she lost her sense of smell. Her endless energy and determination have resulted in waste management policies being implemented at the home level, village level, small and big towns and cities all over India. It's no wonder then that she was the best qualified person to draft the Swachh Bharat manual. Not one to sit still, Almitra is now looking into phosphorus carrying detergents that are polluting our water bodies. She wants manufacturers to label their products so we make the right choice. Hers is an ongoing journey of activism, but let's hear it from her. Welcome and thank you, Almitra, for being a guest in Heart of Conservation podcast. Almitra, I've known you for like 25 plus years, but I've never been able to keep up with all the incredible things you do. In 1959, you were the first woman engineer to graduate from MIT, the first Indian woman, that is. You're also associated with saving the Gir Lions, being a tree warden, saving Al-Sur Lake, and building low-cost homes. Our country has its first municipal solid waste management, or MSW, thanks to you. Uh, it all started when the frogs stopped singing in your backyard, is that right? On, a, on the beautiful country road to our farm. Yes. Because Bangalore was dumping its garbage on the roadside there, okay. in the that low-lying area. And it was a horrifying thing with stray dogs turning feral with no human leader of the pack. They would gather together in the evenings and attack children going to school in the mornings, farmers going home after dusk uh, and uh, killing livestock by daytime or by night. Uh, coming into farms and killing, uh, you know, uh, fowls, chickens, ducks. So there was no human restraint to their behavior. They all became wild and followed a pack leader. And at dawn and dusk, the dogs would gather in packs and chase two-wheelers, chase farmers, and go out marauding and killing animals, even in the daytime, even at midday. So when I tried to help Bangalore clean up its act, in the meantime, there was a Captain J.S. Velu mm-hmm. from Exmora, Chennai. Mm-hmm. So uh, at that, I'd been in touch with him for uh, almost a year. And then there was the Surat plague on 24th September, 94. So he said, uh, you know, India's sitting on a time bomb. Surat... Uh, you know, became like that because the garbage blocked the drains and the choked drains flooded the rat holes, which made them come out and plague and so on. So he said, we got to do a clean India campaign, 30 cities in 30 days, starting on 2nd October, which is like, what, eight, nine days away. And we did it. (laughs) So we did the 30 cities. 
and it was such an eye opener because all the municipal people where we went, the commissioners, mm-hmm. it says, "So what are you doing with your garbage?" And they'd say, "I don't know." Ting ting ting. Call the sanitary inspector. He would yell out, "Call the driver." And only the lowest man knew where he chucked anything. So all the municipal officers, when we explained, you know, yeah. keep your wet and dry unmixed so both can be recycled, and uh, you know, have doorstep collections so no waste on the road and so on. They said, "Oh, won't you start a scheme for us? Yeah, okay. won't you come back at the end of your tour?" And so on. So it became apparent that there was a need to do something on a national level. We went round in my high roof red Maruti van, and the banner which Velu put at the back: "Clean up and flourish, or pile up and perish." I like that. So the municipal commissioners did take you seriously. They did. They welcomed. They said nobody's ever told us what to do. Okay. We only see uh, pictures in the newspaper: overflowing dustbins, choked drains, burning garbage, and no one says what to do. Yeah, so that was the need for the rules, so that everyone could have a roadmap. Sounds like Captain Velu knew what he was doing. Well, he had uh, worked with Ex Nora in Chennai, E X N O R A, excellent novel, radical. This was an MB Nirmal banker who went to Hong Kong with eleven other bankers for a study tour. The others went shopping and sightseeing, and he kept going around wondering how can this place be so clean. And he came back to Chennai, and he conceptualized this. Okay. He he found the waste pickers grubbing in the dustbins. What are you looking for? We are trying to take out recyclables to feed our families and educate our children. So then he said, "I'll give you uniforms. I'll call you street beautifiers, and I will uh, ask you to collect dry waste, clean, separated dry waste from every home." So then he called some actor or cricketer for a neighborhood meeting. So everybody came, and then those people said, "You know, keep your waste unmixed. Don't chuck it 24 hours a day at your neighbor's gate. Uh, you know, wait till it's collected from you." So the whole policy which we have in the rules actually came from mb nirmal's exnora and velu had been sent to bangalore after a year in vijayawada to spend a year in bangalore implementing that model somewhere then he said we can't be sitting around if i take a year per city it will take 300 years to cover india's 300 class 1 cities means 1 lakh plus population so that was the driver first for the clean india campaign and after that i was told if you want to get anything done go to the supreme court and ask for it mr that must have taken a great deal of patience and determination tell us how that went well i thought i'd walk in i'd ask the court that municipalities need land for composting mm-hmm. so uh, municipalities can't do composting within their limits in a big decent in a big centralized way uh, so and because they can't purchase land outside their municipal limits the state has to give it to them so i thought i'd just ask for waste management sites and say thank you and go home and the case took 20 years <laughs> so i think 54 hearings in the supreme court then for 3 4 years nothing happened then it was sent to the ngt and i think there were about 15 hearings there till december 16 so from november december 96 almost to the date december 
16 it finished. My goodness, Almitra, hats off and thank you from all of India. I heard you visited multiple, multiple um, dumping grounds, over 170? No, now it is 206 dumping grounds and their municipalities since that 94 trip. Okay. All of India. And if I visit them more than once, I don't count them twice. 206 different ones. Some I've been even three, four, five times. Really? Yeah. Over these 25 years. That's pretty potent stuff. Frankly, I'm not sure if I would be able to stomach that. I'm not sure how many of my listeners would either. No, uh, a fortunate thing that happened. My nose stopped functioning about 17 years ago. So everyone else goes around with a hanky on their nose and feeling sick. I don't notice a thing and I have to ask my driver, has the smell begun? Is it worse? <laughs> now we're leaving, is the smell less? I love the way you're laughing about it, but without meaning to sound rude, not smelling anything sounds like a good criterion for checking out garbage dumps. The most amazing thing is that uh, the court appointed this expert committee in Jan 98 and we gave an interim report in November 98, meeting every month and so on, eight of us. And then one of the members said, eight people can't decide for the whole country. So asked the court for permission to present this interim report to the commissioners of all the 300 class one cities. So 75 each at Calcutta, Chennai, Bombay, and Delhi. Delhi had the least <laughs> attendance. Calcutta had the best from the <laughs> Eastern region. Okay. And so one of them presented all our things and said, do you have comments and so on. <clears throat> so there was very good buy-in. And I'm very proud that this, these rules are perhaps the first, to my knowledge, that are framed by a committee with consensus. Because otherwise you just have some group of six, seven, eight, out of which two, three are active, also in ours, and then it's a rule for everybody. No, so luckily, the 2000 rules, it was early days. People didn't even know yeah. the difference between compostable food waste, which we call wet waste for short, and recyclables, which we call dry waste for sure. And in those days, there was only compostables and recyclables and debris, inerts, drains it, a third kind. It's only between then and now. Now the 2016 rules which have come, mm -hmm. they are much more detailed and uh, elaborate. At that time, you couldn't afford to tell someone you shall. You just had to say you should advise the citizens to do this and so on. Now it is a rule. Everyone has to do yeah. this because the situation has got so much more out of hand. And with kids in the schools also learning about this now, wet, dry, doorstep, composting, recycling, these are now understood household words. Not terms like leachate, windrow, biomining. I know you're going to explain all of this. I also, as a city person mm -hmm. uh, in Bombay, would give my waste to the servant to take downstairs. I never followed him to see downstairs where, downstairs what he put it in, or ask the people in that vehicle where is the waste going to Devnar or anything like that. So only after I got onto this journey, I began to worry about where is it ending up. You know, garbage has become such a huge issue, but most of us don't know how to handle it or know where it's going, or rather we choose not to know. I think it's important for people to know that from Vedic times until 
the late 70s, there were no dump sites. No Indian city needed a dump site because there was no plastic. The only thing that came out of a house was kitchen waste. And farmers, after bringing their produce to town, would actually fight over the dustbins and have a taker. This is my lane, my lane, and take it back for composting on their farms. So two things killed this. One was the green revolution, which told the farmers, you just add urea, your crops will jump out of the ground. You don't need to worry about composting. Second thing, the plastic yug began. And when people said, I don't need this food waste and I don't need this plastic waste. And in those days, if we had had the wits and foresight and told people don't chuck plastic in the food, we wouldn't be where we are today. And so there were no real mountains of waste at that time. It began, as I said, in 91. And in 94, we decided to do something about it when they started dumping the unwanted mixed waste on the roadside. What can we do at home to minimize the pile up on the dumping sites? The whole idea, if people will keep their wet and dry waste separate, it will not lead to mountains of mixed waste in some poor villagers' backyard with the leachate going into their groundwater and uh, methane coming out and causing global warming. So my latest interest has been to bring down these old heaps. And that is done by uh, bioremediation or biomining. So what cities are doing at the present, they'll drive to some dumping ground, unload the trucks, have a earth mover, level it, drive over it, compact it, maybe uh, cover it with earth occasionally. But uh, instead, if they would simply do what is required to be done in every compost plant, if you unload the waste in windrows, which means long, narrow heaps, parallel heaps, about 2 to 2.5 meters high, not more. And these heaps can very easily be formed as a tipper truck or anything moves slowly forward while unloading. So it can just unload it in a long heap. You need one parking lot manager type person mm-hmm. saying, okay, this, this row is over. Now start a parallel one. Mm-hmm. And then the truck number six, seven, eight, nine can form the next one. And then if you spray that with biocultures and turn it weekly, the moisture goes out and uh, some of the carbon turns to carbon dioxide with air. That's why it's called wind rows. So wind can blow between the rows and aerate the heaps. And the volume comes down 40%, imagine. Amitra, that's nearly half and not so difficult to do either. Yeah, almost half. So if they do that, you won't have another big new heap. And after four turnings, that waste is stabilized like leaves on the forest floor. And there's no leachate, no methane, no smell. That stabilized waste can be used anywhere. And if we give it separate wet waste, compostable waste, then all that can go straight as it is to farms or restoring degraded land. So now there is... new options being available where if you go to YouTube Almitra Patel and look for Gurugram Faridabad or look for Nagpur or Kumbakonam, there are three which describe uh, simple ways of bioremediating. What they want to do which gets them a lot of money and a lot of excuse for new land to flog to someone and pollute is capping which means just cover it with a plastic sheet, soil and grass. So it will look pretty, but it's like lipstick on mouth cancer. Everything 
is still decomposing inside, generating leachate into the ground, and the methane is slipping out from the sides of the cover. You, you can't seal it because it was not lined in the first place. So this capping which they do in the West when they have, you know, a fully bottom and side lined pit. And then if you put a liner on top, it's what they call a dry tomb. So we, it makes no sense when you have unlined dump sites in India or anywhere else. So that's been my... I really hope people are listening. It just seems like this, we don't know enough about solid waste or handling solid waste. Another thing, which is a new kind of solid waste, is fecal sludge, septic tank sludge. And uh, this is something that your listeners should know. Uh, we have been, by advertisers, conned into using phenyl bleach and strong uh, microbe killers, which all go through your toilets and drains into your septic tank, killing the microbes who are supposed to live there and digest your solid waste. So, and then people complain why they have to empty their septic tanks every year at huge expense, six, seven thousand or more per thing. At our school in Devlali, near Nasik, 4,000 kids, day scholars, uh, they used to empty the septic tank annually. And after we started adding a bioculture from one uh, supplier, for 11 years we haven't emptied the septic tank because we stopped using phenyl and we, stopped, we started using either liquid soap, mm-hmm. one tablespoon in the bucket to wash mm-hmm. the toilets, or the composting bioculture itself to wash the toilet so it would end up in the septic tank and all the sludge would get digested in the septic tank so you never need to clean it and that water doesn't overload your sewage treatment plants which then empty into lakes and destroy the lakes because the sewage treatment plants in India they only lower the pH they they monitor the pH and the COD which is chemical oxygen demand and the BOD which is biological oxygen demand and they try to reduce that. But they don't reduce the nitrogen and phosphorus, which are nutrients flowing with wastewater into the lakes and growing water hyacinth and all the aquatic vegetation. Where can one access biocultures? Uh, is it easily available? Not yes. yet, but I think if people begin to ask their supermarkets for it, it would show up on the shelves. But otherwise, just your femme and that kind of liquid soap, Yeah. not the microbicidal, bactericidal hand wash, just the plain liquid soap. Mm -hmm. That's good enough to wash your toilets and all, and it won't kill any bacteria in your septic tank. So you don't need to look for anything else. Amitra, I know you must have many stories to tell, but what part of your journey made you feel satisfied or made you feel, you know, this is what I hoped for? What was for me a great success in this case was I had asked for, you know, hygienic, eco-friendly waste management for 300 class one cities, one lakh plus population. But uh, the rules came out applying to all urban local bodies, which means even 20,000 plus population. So that covered four or five thousand cities. But there's another thing. Mm In the beginning, when the court directed all the states to give composting sites to their Mm -hmm. major cities, it happened and I was really happy about it. But all the cities misused this. Instead of dumping it on the highways, they said, yeah, now we've got land, 
and they rushed and dumped everything in a huge dump a pile on a site which was meant for composting and doing it properly. So what was uh, non-point pollution along the highways, no man's land of road shoulders, suddenly became point pollution for the villages around these dumps. And so my dream became a nightmare. So now what we are saying, cities don't have a right to ruin the life and health of villagers outside for no reason with waste, which isn't theirs even. So now the trend and in the 2016 rules also, they are preferring decentralized composting within the city. There's a lot of pushback. Everyone says, not in my road, not in my park, not opposite my house, but it's your way. That's so typical. We don't want to see anyone else's gar- garbage. We barely want to see our own. Yes. <laughs> so uh, that has to change. So what's the first town that comes to mind, which is adop- adopted good waste management practices? Bangalore is the first in HSR layout park to have a compost learning center where they've got a shed with about 13 different um, home composting models from one, two, five, ten kilos, and then a row of about seven open-air community composting solutions, anything from 50 to 500 kilos or one ton a day. And the thing which I like best are lane composters. They are like uh, large weld mesh boxes, uh-huh. Uh, raised off the ground so that air can go in from below. And uh, you put in some dry leaves, the wet waste from about 40 houses, Mm -hmm. and uh, sprinkle some bioculture. It can even be sour curd and jaggery water or purchased bioculture Mm -hmm. or a dilute 5% solution of fresh cow dung and again some leaves. And you need twin boxes like this. One fills up in 15 days. You work on the second, leaving the first one to mature for 15 days. Then you empty that and begin again. And that is so inconspicuous. You need people in the lane who are prepared to host it in front of their gate and take responsibility for managing it in an orderless way. Mr. Thank you so much for sharing these. But if you want to know more about your work or, you know, delve into uh, solid waste management a little more, I mean, a little more deeply, uh, where would you direct us? Almitrapatel.com. So on the homepage top right mm-hmm. is a winking thing saying free download, uh, solid waste uh, SWM guidebook or oh, guidelines. Excellent, or excellent. That's a 70-page manual which I wrote for the Swatch Bharat mission. Okay. And unlike the other manuals which the Ministry of, uh, you know, Housing and Urban Affairs brings out and so on, Mm -hmm. which starts with metro cities, this one begins with villages. Okay. And then goes to tiny towns, little bigger towns, medium towns, Mm -hmm. and so on. In your long mission to clean up India, you must have come across some very interesting people, I'm sure. I'd like to share with the people my hero. In 2003, I heard about a commissioner, S.A. Khadar Sahib, mm-hmm. in Suryapet, which is uh, about three hours east of Hyderabad, mm-hmm. on his own without even having studied the solid waste rules. Mm-hmm. He just came up with the same idea. So I think if people will look up Suryapet in my website, they can 
read it. He also broke away from this uh, common practice of group cleaning. So after the morning work, mm-hmm. uh, a dozen workers are put together that you clean this street. So one or two would do it while the others, you can see them sitting around. Uh, so he gave uh, like a half kilometer stretch of drain to one person with a wheelie bin. Uh, take out the silt and don't leave it on the drain side. And then he had a separate leak-proof lorry going around so that the wet uh, silt from the drains could go from the wheelie bin directly into the lorry. Then it went on to road shoulders for road widening, pothole filling and stuff like that. So he needed no dump site at all. But the amazing thing, this was a town of one lakh 3,000 population, mm-hmm. Suryape. And he managed everything on a half-acre site right in the heart of town. So quarter-acre was where he did composting, stack composting, which on my web uh, YouTube channel, you can look at Kolar, describes stack okay. composting. And after it was ha- partly decomposed, he would put it into vermi bins for earthworms. Uh, and he would... Uh, the dry waste, he constructed a shed on the other quarter acre with partitions along the walls and he engaged on salary eight waste pickers saying put your thin plastic, thick plastic, paper, cardboard, glass, wood, rubber, metal mm-hmm. in different mm-hmm. galas mm-hmm. and then invited the kabadiwalas to come and mm-hmm. purchase it from there. Mm-hmm. And within six months, his income every month mm-hmm. from a one lakh population was one lakh rupees. 45,000 from compost sale, 55,000 from dry waste sale. Uh, that was income, yeah. not profit. And yeah, but minus four workers for the composting and eight waste pickers for the dry. But it was an amazing self-sustaining mm-hmm. model. He didn't get a pie of support from the state, the center, no grant, no NGOs, nothing. Just managing with his municipal funds. So he uh, innovated beautifully. He took uh, eight self-help groups to the bank Mm -hmm. and said the municipality is going to engage them for door-to-door collection. So a tractor would drive every six, seven houses Mm -hmm. and stop, six, seven houses stop and collect Mm -hmm. the waste from the houses, Mm -hmm. wet and dry separate. Behind the driver was a high wellness cage for the dry waste mm-hmm. and near the tail was the wet the waste. waste and everyone standing there could see clearly where the, the wet and dry yeah. was being managed separately and uh-huh, their yeah. efforts were valued so he went to the bank and said give mm-hmm. them a loan for brand new tractors okay. and their EMIs for it mm-hmm. the municipality will pay you directly and mm-hmm. deduct from the fees which mm-hmm. we are going to pay them for the collection charge okay. and at the end of five years the mm-hmm. tractor belonged to that self-help group okay. and even while they were doing the collection huh. they could collect the waste in the mornings in the afternoon if they wanted to move sand or lumber or they could still use, the they could use it and get extra income on okay. their own it was their tractor hmm. so that was a beautiful model definitely sounds like it Mitra, when it comes to small towns versus big cities where do you think swm will work more efficiently and my hope these days is for all the small towns hmm. because the big towns think they know it all they are dragged away on foreign tours mm-hmm. to sell them inappropriate technology like waste to energy yeah how do you burn waste which has got 60% food waste, mm-hmm. which is 85% moisture? Uh, how, how do you get energy out of a rotten tomato? 
unless you're doing biomethanation, mm. which is okay. But the incineration is an absolute no-no. Mm. But big cities go for all these promises. And yeah. the foreign people dare to come and say, don't bother with your rules, don't bother to segregate. Just give us mixed waste, we'll take care of everything. But you see what's happening in Delhi. They promise mm -hmm. that 100% waste will end up as 5% ash. But in Delhi, Jindal in the middle of uh, mm -hmm. Okla is uh, sending uh, over 30% of their intake as semi-burnt stuff to the dump. You can see charred coconut shells, partly burnt cloth. Obviously, it's not reaching temperatures yeah. of 1200 or whatever it should, if you can right. recognize it as cloth or coconut. Yeah. So it's a big fraud. Waste to energy is the current big scam. Hmm. So my hope is with all the small towns. I think small town people also know each other, can get together easier. Knowing you, Almetra, I can confidently ask, so what else is on your plate? Another thing I've been working on is uh, the pollution of all our surface waters. Uh, Alsur Lake in Bangalore, Pelandur, uh, village ponds. Nobody can go and swim in the village pond like their fathers or grandfathers used to. It's all fully choked with water hyacinth. And the reason is, which was discovered by scientists in the US and Canada, when Lake Erie mm -hmm. between the two countries mm -hmm. was turning green with aquatic vegetation, mm -hmm. which would sink to the bottom, die, consume the oxygen, kill all the fish. That's called eutrophication. Mm -hmm. And they wondered what to do to save the lake. They found that in the late 60s, synthetic detergents had been invented and they were using phosphorus, sodium tripolyphosphate, as an ingredient in the synthetic detergents. Not soaps, but synthetic detergents. So over a three-year battle, vigorously fought in the courts by all the you know, multinationals also, they succeeded in limiting the phosphorus content in 1973 to 2.2% phosphorus by weight in the detergent. And that rule is still followed and in practice today. Although Washington state says we will have zero phosphorus in dishwashing and clothes washing machine detergents and so on. Uh, but uh, Europe also followed suit with 2.2%. India has not. Oh. And the same MNCs who are following the rules abroad in uh, US, Canada and EU, they control 80% of the detergent market in India. There may be small, small brands who are all making detergents on contract for the big guys and they refuse to lower their phosphorus content. And phosphorus is what is called a limiting nutrient. If you cut off the phosphorus, you stop the aquatic plant growth. If you give phosphorus, it's like a special booster nutrient for aquatic vegetation. Just like urea or nitrogen yeah. is for land crops, phosphorus is for aquatic vegetation. So it's so simple 
if we just i've i've been saying if the government doesn't want to bite the bullet and restrict it mm -hmm. at least make it mandatory to label the phosphorus content in detergents so that environment conscious citizens can buy a low phosphorus detergent i so it's an ongoing battle which hasn't been won yet but we need more voices to demand this now speaking with environmental activist almitra patel check out her website almitrapatel.com a l m i t r a p a t e l.com i hope you enjoyed this episode of hatha conservation podcast i'd love your feedback so do write to me at earthymatter013 at gmail.com that's e a r t h y m a t t e r s 013 at gmail.com and if you know somebody whose story should be told or is doing interesting work do contact me and you can download heart of conservation podcast episodes for free on soundcloud apple podcast spotify google podcast or wherever you listen to your podcast you can also read the whole transcripts on earthymatters.blog Okay then bye